This week on Wellness and Wonder, Francesca and I speak with Chris Manning, also known as the Mindfulness Man, where we discuss silence and mindfulness. Join in the conversation. Okay, welcome back for another episode of Wellness and Wonder. Today we have an amazing show, and as you may not know or may know, I'm Paris Avet. Hello, I'm Francesca D'Amico. Welcome to Wellness and Wonder. Of course, this podcast is made of words, but as we know, words can transform our mind and put us in a state of peace. Today, we are hosting Chris. We are going to go along, you know, and we're going to go through spirituality again during the second chapter because spirituality is about lighting up and it's about trusting what we have and who we are. This is very important. It leads our life in a very magical way. And uh, it is uh, also because uh, it teaches us about the goal of our life, which is not the battle with the mind, but it is the witness to the mind. It's so beautiful. And so of course, naturally with that in tow, chapter two of our spiritual week, we had to have Mr. Chris Manning, who is also known as the Mindfulness Man. How are we? Tell us about you. Introduce yourself, Chris. I have been teaching mindfulness now for about 10 years, practicing it for about 20. But I've been on a spiritual path all of my life. And I don't say that um, as a cliche. You know, I'm not talking about things like I'm uh, a soul in a human body. I'm not speaking like that. I'm literally saying that when I was two or three, I have memories of me meditating. And this came flooding back to me on a Buddhist retreat. I've done many Buddhist retreats. And on this particular one, it was a 10 day retreat. And on these retreats, you can't speak. You can't make eye contact with anyone. They are hardcore. Wow. Oh, they're so amazing. You're so cleaned out um, afterwards spiritually. So I'm there and I'm meditating. And I see this ring of light that came in front of my eyes. And... I thought to myself, I've seen this somewhere before. What is this? And it re- I remembered that as a child, I used to lie in bed and I used to put my fingers over my eyes. And if you do that and you press onto your eyes, you start to see, I think you see a part of the eye, something happens, but you literally start seeing a ring of light. It comes. Now, I saw this ring of light in meditation, but I used to do this as a child. I used to press my eyes, get the ring of light, wait till the ring of light came, and then I used to focus on it and try and hold it still. I learned much later that what I actually was practicing is um, a yogic meditation practice called Tratak. And I read about it afterwards and I was blown away that at two or three, I was doing this without any instruction. 
And I've, I've had several things like that all the way through my life. Um, I've never stopped doing things. I've just changed what it was. Like in the 80s, for instance, I was a teen and you used to have a red light on a stereo. And, you know, just like on, on Technics, mm. you'll know with decks. Yeah. But yeah, you've got a red light. I used to switch off all of the lights and I used to focus on this red light and until I went into a different um, state, a different spiritual state. And I, I never knew what I was doing. I just used to do it. But it made me realize that I've been doing this all my life. And that called into question things like past lives because as unbelievable as it sounds, it sounds incredulous that we can live from life to life. But that explains, people say you're, you meditated, you're a yogi in a previous life and you're continuing to do it. You know how to do it and you're just continuing your path. But I can't tell you anything about what happened before then because I have no idea. During, as you said, during these moments of meditation, there is that these are made of silence. So basically, we experience the truth in a direct and practical and real way yes. at the same time. But these moments of silence are also uh, too meant to wake us up, to become more alert, more inquisitive, and more curious about ourselves. Would you say then that? Silence is really important during this uh, growing awakening. I would. And I used to hate silence. Meditation has changed me completely. I used to be one of those people. I still had these issues of unable to stand my own company. I couldn't. Not, it wasn't a self-hatred thing. It was a, I needed to be with people. I felt like I was missing out. I felt like I needed to be at a party. I needed to be, if it was a Saturday night and I was in with nowhere to go, the depression was heavy, wow. so heavy. And it was loneliness. I, I had this absolute need to be around people. And I couldn't stand silence. You're talking about silence, I hated it. I had to have a radio on in the background, some music on, anything to drown out the silence. I couldn't even sleep in silence. I used to sleep to music, which is fine. And then I started taking meditation very, very seriously. And I went the other way. I wasn't bothered about being around people. I didn't care what people thought of me. I was only bothered about getting to that silence. I stopped putting things on in the car, you know? I remember my car being, um, car stereo being stolen. 30 minutes to travel. And I was like, how am I gonna survive 30 minutes with no music in absolute silence? So yeah. There's been a huge transformation and I love silence. I crave it now. Wow. Yeah. 
Basically, meditation is like a gym in which we develop the powerful mental muscles uh, of calm and insights. It absolutely is. I was in um, I was in a um, Zoom call yesterday with an amazing teacher named um, Shyla Catherine. Um, she's absolutely amazing, and she's written about seven books and. Her teaching is on concentration meditation, something called leading one into something called jhanas. Now, jhanas are states of absolute ecstasy. And they're so ecstatic, nothing in the world compares to them. So you crave, we crave these states because we have, you've heard all the mystics talk about ecstasy, the word ecstasy. I think they said there's 11 jhanas. Is it seven or 11 of them? There's, there's actually, it depends which, it depends who you ask, <laughs> which true. tradition you're in. I, I've heard someone say, yeah, but in, in my tradition, there's eight. eight. There's four jhanas. There's four material jhanas. Now, what they they start with physical ecstasy. So literally, finger in the socket, hair out here, obviously not me, but finger in the socket, electricity running through your body. That's just the start of it. And then you progress down into deeper, more peaceful states. And then from the fourth to the eighth, they're called supra mundane jhanas because nothing in the world can compare. You can't say, oh, it's like this with a bit of this. There's nothing. You're into a zone then where nothing, you, you can't bring anything from the earth and make a comparison to it. They're that profound. And that's obviously a very advanced level of meditation, isn't it? Very advanced. I love saying that uh, meditation doesn't really carry us to another world, like many people think. That's why they, many of them judge meditation. But it, uh, it reveals the, the most profound and awesome dimensions of our inner world. And that's how we discover ourselves. That's why we, meet, we need silence, we need to meditate, to so truly go within us. Absolutely. It's all inside. And this is why... This, as I was saying earlier, when I was younger, I, I couldn't bear to be alone, you know? I had to be with friends, I had to be socializing. It was all an external requirement. I needed external va validation. I needed um, external stimulation. But when you taste that inner peace, you no longer need anything. I've lost fear of Largely, I, I don't want to be so arrogant to say I've lost fear of death, but I almost, I think I have. It feels like I have. I don't, I, I know that life could challenge me and I'd be absolutely flawed. Um, so I'm not so arrogant to say I have. What I would say is I feel like I have if that makes sense of course well yeah. in in mindfulness it's accepting the things that are ever changing and not changing you know you lose your concept of the things you hold on to and of course yeah. you have such a a flowing through life that death is inevitable so yeah. it's the only change that we know is confirmed so with that it's <laughs> such a high level of of acceptance of where you are 
yeah yeah that's it and from a fitness professional point of view we have to work out how to explain that inevitable to people sometimes because they are in such a bad place that that's sometimes the only thing that that you can say like it's this or that (laughs) from my personal fitness approach is I take more of a wellness and mindful approach to fitness and helping people adjust their relationship with food and of course Francesca having her skill with the culinary arts it's you know we're all wrapped in that way but it's all connected connected, and we obviously say that with all of this path that we're on fitness health and life is a spiritual process and of course that's what leads us here to wellness and wonder because it's without the wellness you can't have the magic without the magic you can't have the spirit there's so much missing and they're all connected but so many people will try and simplify what can't be simplified you know yeah Yes, and activating our senses is really important because it can be fun discovering ourselves. So even in silence, we can appreciate who we are using our five senses, for example, enjoying what we see, what we touch, what we feel. It's really important to really go through these experiences in life, to appreciate details and to understand that life, it's made of simple things also and beautiful things. Absolutely. Um, Something you've just said, actually, Paris, I want to go back to because I was speaking to my teacher Mm. yesterday. Um, All meditation teachers should have a teacher. (laughs) Otherwise, you get you, you know, you get carried away. You you need someone to ground you. Um, And he was telling me he works out in a gym. And I was like, Buddhist monks don't work out in a gym. And he's like, yeah, I've got a personal trainer. I, I do weight training. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, this can't be. And, he, and he's like, yeah. And I, had, I we were laughing because I said, I've got visions of you in your robes, like on the treadmill, like soaked robes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and he's like, no, I don't, I don't work out in my robes. Right. <laughs> that was funny. That was really funny. I was like. But he was saying too, he was, the the point we were getting to was, he was talking about the mind-body relation and how important it is. You know, you feed the mind through the body and vice versa. It's like that you don't separate it off. How can we enjoy our mind if our body doesn't feel well and even the opposite way? It's all connected and people should start acting with their body to feel good in their mind and vice versa. 100%. 100%. There is one, though. Mm. There is a caveat to that. Absolutely well, we're vital and young. We should, our nutrition should be right. Um, we should exercise. We should do all these aspects of wellness. Now, this should build in us a resilience to get to a point in life like when we're older that when our health does start failing we don't fail with it mentally we don't fall apart because we we have such profound experiences through our practice that we know that as great as the body is as necessary as it is for our wellness we can get to a point where we transcend 
the need for it for happiness. Um, Henry David Thoreau, um, an American um, writer, a spiritual, he, he was one of the transcendentalists. He was dying, I think it was Thoreau, it might have been one of the other transcendentalists, but I'm pretty sure it was Thoreau. He was dying with um, one of the diseases of the time, TB, I think it was. Mm. And um, he was asked, he was only about 40, which is, you know, quite young, 38, 40 or something. Yeah. And he was asked, how are you feeling? Um, are, you, are you worried? And he said, there is as much comfort in perfect disease as there is in perfect health. Right. And he, he was so um, spiritually advanced that it didn't touch him. His illness wow. didn't touch him. That's insane. We can be so spiritually advanced, Chris, let me know if you agree, only if we have the experience of life because we are not yeah. born ready. Uh, being spiritually ready. I suppose uh, we have to go through many experiences in life, through different mistakes, through different events. Sorry, but do you not think we actually come off from being spiritually ready? Because, of course, they say that when, we mo when we're most welcome into heaven is when we're in the most childish state. And yes, actually... but uh, how, then we transform and uh, we miss the real meaning of spirituality. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so during many events, along many events, we recognize how spiritual we are. So... Which events, for example, Chris, did you have in the past? Well, you've actually just, you've both just sparked off something yeah, um, but... <laughs> great I want to talk about. And Let's that, talk about Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> I want to talk about the Garden of Eden mm. and what yeah. I believe it means. I think the Garden of Eden is the state of absolute wonder we are born with. I remember again, I was, I must have been maybe three, I've got so many memories from being very young. I know they say your own, I think you, it's impossible to have a memory from before two or something. Um, but anyway, I have a memory from being two or three of a flashing roundabout that made noise. It was a kid's toy and the lights were flashing. And I can remember it vividly. And the absolute awe I felt looking at this and listening to the sounds and touching it, it was like I was mind blown. And I can remember it so vividly, it sticks out in my, in my mind. Mm. And, and that same thing now, if I were to see that now, I wouldn't even look at it. It would be utterly meaningless. I'd throw it in the bin, it'd be rubbish. Because that wonder's disappeared, it's gone. Yeah. And the beauty of mindfulness is you're bringing that back. You're coming back yes. to the Garden of Eden. Yes, so we are super spiritual as children, then we lose it naturally because of the responsibility. Yes because of our life, and then we come back to it. We come back to it, absolutely. And, we and, and, and I think what we are really re rediscovering is the Garden of Eden. It's like a drop of dew on a leaf. 
you know, as a child, yeah. we would we would be what looking at the sunlight sparkling mm. it. Yeah. You know, if you're 22 or 14 or something, you're not even gonna you're gonna walk straight past it. It's meaningless. But as you progress on the path, that wonder opens again. It's there. It, it's it's being covered over by conditions. It's being covered over by the mind seeing it and putting it in a box and going, that's due on a leaf. Seen it, seen it a thousand times. It's it's irrelevant now. Already experienced it. And then it's 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 like tasting something like ice cream or chocolate or whatever, and um, something you really like. Yeah. And the first couple of mouthfuls are amazing. And then you go into a trance and you don't even know right. you're doing it anymore. It's just like. And, and I think that's and yeah. just to go back to what you were saying. It's, it's we choose to rediscover. And this is why we all do what we do is to help people rediscover that beauty that we lost in our infant state it's because life yeah. is particularly now with everything that's going on as we're becoming more aware and we're receiving more technology to cast more opinion on things that are beyond ourselves we're starting to lose this ability to go into self so we're spending so much time on external factors oh the news the this the that that we spend such little time actually focusing on the science of us I was thinking that uh, rediscovering spirituality is possible while building a family. When we give birth to our children, in a way, if we have lost it, we can rediscover it. Yes. Right? That's the beauty of creating a, a family too, to rediscover the beauty Everything. of life through spirituality in a small things. So just looking at your children growing and laughing. Yeah. Now, I almost... You're going to hate me. <laughs> I almost um, left my family and children mm. um, <clears throat> because the desire in me was so great to become a Buddhist monk, right. so great that I, I was spending all of my time at the monastery. I was on retreat all the time. And I had, you know, a baby and a two-year-old. And I loved them so much, but this pull, this pull to the spiritual world was so intense because by that time my practice had been practicing about four years or something. Mm. And so I was getting really, really deep. And so my wife wants, I, I, I always used to say, I, I want to be a monk, I want to be a monk. And one day I came back from a retreat and she said, I've had enough of this, off you go then. And I was like, my first thought was like, wow, I'm free. I can oh, go no. and be a monk. Oh, and then I thought, then I looked at my kids and I, I and I was like, I can't do this. This is not It's not right. your fault, Chris, I suppose. Your intentions were not aligned with your actions. You just needed to do something to, you know, to get along with yourself. So it was actually bad timing, maybe. Yeah, and another thing as well, um, as a career, I'm actually a designer, I'm a fashion designer, and... <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> now, here's the thing, because fashion is such a <laughs> ego... Isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It was just completely at odds with my life. And I was really struggling to make it all work. I was having these great profound insights, these spiritual awakenings. And it just, it, I, I had everyday life and I had spiritual life. And there was a mm. solid line between the two. Wow. And so solid. And I was like, I must break all of that in order to have that. I must throw all of that away because the line was impenetrable. But I, I decided to stay and I'm so glad I did because I did it the hard way. The easy way would have been to do that. Exactly. And yeah. And I think also though, that's a pressure on society because we often are told to obviously give our children everything. Um, you know, I saw this quote that's bothered me from the moment I read it, that women are, and girls are born with value where there's only value for men as long as they provide. And Sorry, say that again. They said that women and, and females are often born with value, yeah. but men are only valued when they provide. Oh, wow. And it's crazy, isn't it? because yeah. this is what we've all become conditioned to today and yeah. rather than encouraging and all of us to look after ourselves and expand ourselves expand our horizons we're caught in the rat race where yeah. if we are on a spiritual path that means you can't look after your family because you're doing this and yes. so when actually as you've discovered the most spiritual thing is to work out how to do both Yes. Because 100%. life is life is one. This is what this is human nature. You fall in love, yes. love ends. We always talk about spiritual love. This is the queen of love here. So we do <laughs> our spiritual love. We do that. And then of course children, if we're blessed enough, become natural a natural progression. And then as we're growing, you start to realise and, and I saw this also yesterday. A, a mother I know was saying how much she's lost herself in who was she before hmm. they, they have children and I, I get what they're saying and I was actually quite sad because I don't think we should look at our, our children and lose ourselves in our children I believe it's an opportunity to find ourselves again it's a, it's a form yes. of evolution yeah. and she was like oh you know I don't even remember who I was so I want to do is get that back I'm like we can't ever go back no no 100% never. You have to keep moving forward. My teacher was telling me um, a couple of weeks ago, he put it so well, he said, the light doesn't stay still. It's like we have to move and evolve into it all the time. And we definitely can't go back. We can't go back. That's back into darkness. Things yeah. have changed and moved and we need to learn to, f to move with that flow. Exactly. You have to become your best self with these elements yes. around too. And it's awful when you, I wanted to explain this to her, but if someone isn't on a mindset that we're on, it's a very, you know, all you're considered is, is oh, hippie kind of weirdo. Like, but mm -hmm. I could never imagine to look at my child and have a resentment for what life was. Like they didn't choose to come here. So all I can do now is focus on me being my best self with them here. So as, as yeah. you know, and we all know that I was in the music industry for so long now, of course, if I wasn't a mother, Lord knows where I'd be. But guess what? Life happens and 
I was a mother. But now what do I do next? Because the two definitely don't match. If I was to beat Bob around the universe for the next 10 years and do this, do that, regardless of the stresses of the industry anyway, I'd be a shivering wreck on the floor, I think, with or without him. So <laughs> what I decided to do is elevate to make sure everyone's best. Yeah. But I definitely don't say, oh, if I didn't have a child, I'd be, uh, you know, that's not how it goes because that's, yeah. not, that's not wellness. No. I, uh, I want to share with you guys, uh, of course, Chris, let me know uh, if you have other techniques. When I have to forget the past sometimes, because, of course, our thoughts bring us to the past normally, it's natural. I use the breathing technique. So with every, every breath, the old moment is lost and the new moment arrives. So basically, I exhale and I let go of the old moment. This is an amazing technique for people that want to go forward, uh, not, of course, uh, forgetting the past completely, because we are, it is always a lesson. But uh, would you say that this is one of the best techniques to go forward or would you suggest anything else? I, I, the breath is perfect and here's okay. why. People try to meditate on the contents of the mind but you've got to be good to do that because the mind yeah. is forever leaping backwards and forwards. The body is always here. A bodily experience, like the breath, is fresh and alive in the moment. It's happening right here, right now. A thought, although it's happening here and now, it's about another point that isn't here and now. It's a plan for the future. It's a reflection, a, a memory. So this is why the body yeah. is advised and the breath is perfect. One of the reasons it's perfect is like you just said, it's a process of letting go and you're letting go now. And it transcends all barriers. You know, you, you can be any culture, we all breathe. You know, you don't have to believe anything. You you can believe you're not breathing, but <laughs> you'll soon find out that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> so true, yeah. The breath's the ultimate. It's the ultimate tool. I, I struggled with the breath because I'm asthmatic, so... Oh, me, no. Yeah, so focusing in on my breath was very, very difficult. It took me maybe 10 years to to get to a point where I was comfortable with the breath but it's the perfect tool. Also, another reason the breath is so good. Yeah. When we're meditating, we're trying to look, although I said don't use the mind as the meditation object to start with, we still want to know the nature of the mind. We're using the breath to get to the nature of the mind, to see the mind, see the fluctuations and have realizations. Now, if we're with the breath, and our mind changes in a direction that's stressful or excited or anticipating something, the breath will start speeding up. If the mind goes into something peaceful, it starts thinking peaceful thoughts or thoughts drop away, the breath slows down. So that's why, that's another reason. It's a direct link into the state of the mind. You can see the state of the mind from the state of the breath. 
Yes, it's amazing, Chris. Me too. I spent one year to learn this technique. It's not easy because it is, as we said, a mind and body connection. We breathe and we connect the mind with our body. So if we are not used to it, to really do it properly is not easy. I would say that another technique that I use when I have to be mindful, be you know strong enough to go forward, realizing my inner powers, it's that... Basically, I read many books about meditations for inspiration. So would you say that another technique is to read about these things if we cannot really focus on other techniques? Well, I used to have a teacher um, who she was a teacher of Buddhism and Christianity. She was actually a Christian nun. Um, she died recently, sadly, and she was a wonderful woman. And she used to lead Buddhist Christian retreats. Wow. And something she taught me was, was spiritual reading. Um, in the Catholic tradition, it's called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina. And what that means is divine reading. So what you do, you take a book like the Bible or whatever religion you are and you read it but you don't read it for information you read it for inspiration so you start reading a verse you, you'll read it and then you'll get yeah. something and then you'll read it over and over almost like a mantra it starts speaking to you and it's like yeah. the book becomes alive so yeah that can be a great practice in fact um amazing yeah, in fact, nuns and monks of, of the deeper Christian traditions do that um, all day. You know, some of, these, some of these nuns that are cloistered and, and monks, they spend most of their day reading the Bible, but reading it in this way. They're not reading it to know, because as everyone knows with the Bible, it's a mixture of myth and, um, and fact. It's, it's not, you know, this happened on this day. And they, it's right. it's talking, like I was saying earlier about the Garden of Eden, it's pointing at something deeper. It's pointing us inside to experience spirituality. It's amazing. It's really good. Now, let's actually talk about books because, of course, and one of my favourite things with you is, and Francesca, obviously, you just joined uh, Chris's group, Mindfulness and Daily Life. Let's talk about that, and let's talk about your book club. You obviously host a wonderful book club in your group. Let's talk about the group. Tell us, tell everybody where, obviously, I met you. Yeah, the group. Well, I've been teaching a podcast for eight years now, and I've been teaching live on Instagram um, I teach in the real world as well, but now it's just so easy to like get your phone out and teach loads of people mm -hmm. instead of travel and all the rest of it. And um, the lockdown hit. Now, I'd, I'd not really been on Facebook. I'd abandoned Facebook and I was all about Instagram. And I just thought, let me see if I can do something on Facebook. You know, let me see if I can do. So I started it up when the lockdown kicked in. So um, a year ago, exactly a year ago, I set it up. Wow. And I didn't do anything on it for um, a couple of months. 
it was, you know, sort of April or something before I made a post, late April or something. And I started bringing people over from Insta and stuff, saying, I'm going to start teaching on Facebook now, you know, come over. And I found Facebook more intimate. I found Instagram to be very hit and run. And, you know, people leave a comment and then you don't, there's no continuity or flow of conversation. Whereas Facebook, people would stick around and they'd have a conversation with you. You know, it'd go back and forth on the group. And so sharing my artwork and my meditations and everything, and it just started growing like ridiculously. In fact, about four months ago, I remember, yeah, about four months ago, I did a live and I said, wow, I can't believe this, everyone. We're at 20,000 people. I never thought we'd get to 20,000. Now, four months later, we're at 160-something. It's gaining 2,000 followers a day. That's crazy. But and we, we're not doing any marketing. We're not doing any... No money goes into it, nothing. No advertising. Because people are in need, Chris, and they believe your words. That means that your words are very powerful. Thank you. And it's your energy and it's everything, you, you know, you come across as. And that's obviously why I said, you know what, you've got to come on Wellness and Wonder. Let's talk about, you know, your power of community. How have you found that now? Obviously, going from kind of teaching this big to this big, you know, and, and mm. to the point we see now such an influx of different people. You've got people all over the world there. And you're almost to the point, I so saw you had to even address something as simple as arguing the other day. Like, yeah. That's actually from ages ago. Um, that's yeah, but people have seen it and started commenting again, so it goes, it moves up the feed. Right. Of course, uh, that's from about six months ago. There was like some real fallouts on on the group, way. and um, we weeded those people out eventually because we try to. I love what Pema Children says. She says everything you can see is your mandala. Everything it's supposed to be there. It's there for you. You know, the world's unfolding for you. So she said, don't ever kick anyone out of the mandala. So for me to kick someone out of the group, they've got to be pretty toxic. Right. And yeah. So I was trying to keep people. Yeah. So I was trying to keep people on board. And, you know, there were some people absolutely committed to not changing ever. Um, and they were going to be a problem and they were going to be abusive. And I said, you can say anything to me. It, it doesn't make, you can call me whatever you want. It can't touch me. You know, I, I, I've gone beyond a point where you're going to type something on Facebook and I'm going to get offended. Um, but there's people here who are vulnerable right. and you will hurt them. If you hurt them, if you say things to them, you're gone. And so that's... And I mean, something that I really want to say about vulnerability is that many people that are vulnerable, they think they're weak and they're not powerful, which is actually the opposite. Most of the most powerful people are actually vulnerable. That's because their sensitivity is high. So how would, can we teach people to accept their vulnerability? Well, I love the work. Have you, have you heard of Brené Brown? Yes, 
I love Brené Brown. She's amazing. She's done some great work on vulnerability. I was talking about this today, actually. It it is is strength. Now, yeah, like I've suffered with depression and I've suffered with it strangely because of the dilemma I was in. I no longer fitted in the world, as I was explaining before, Mm -hmm. but I had to be in it. I was forced into my position. And so I've spoken in states of despair online. And I've said, I'm really down, you know, I'm really not good. My mental energy is really poor at the moment. I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm low. I've said that and I've said it to a live audience. And people, A, they come and they say, that's so brave, I can't believe, I would never dare say something like that. But also the beauty of it is, I come back two days later and I say, I feel absolutely fantastic. It's all gone, it's past, it's energy that's accumulating in me that I'm not trying to change. I'm not saying, go away depression, get rid. I'm inviting it in, I'm letting it do its thing and then it leaves of its own accord because I meditate through it and I accept it. And so people are really inspired by that. They see that, you're real, you're a real person, you know, you, 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 you're vulnerable, we all are. If, you're, if you yeah. don't think you're vulnerable, um, you're not fully alive because, right. you know, we're in this bag of skin and bones that anything could have, a comet could come out of the sky and we're all finished at any second, you know? And also vulnerability help us to, to allow us to be ourselves. That's why I think falling in love, it's a, a really important um, process for our lives because uh, when we fell in love, we become very vulnerable. And so many people that have been very strong during their lives, as soon as they fell in love, they accept their, vul- their vulnerability, which is a, a powerful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we don't, we need to start honoring it more and it's starting to happen. You know, people who are, who are, you know, they might self harm or something. They're showing their scars, you know, heroin addicts, ex addicts are saying, you know, that they're, they're talking about it and they're saying what drove them to it and how they overcame it. And they might still be depressed. They might still be left with scars, but they're, they're out there and this, and then people don't feel alone anymore. They're like, wow, this is me as well. I think exactly like that. I've been down that path and it's just liberating for others. And if you can see it, if you can get out of your own pain and it's very cathartic as well to do it and to put it out there, to to basically open up your chest and show your heart. Right. You must be strong. Yeah. Yeah, it's very... It, it, it can be hurtful because, uh, of course, when we open our hearts, we have to be prepared for anything. Yes. That's why being conscious and aware helps us to create a natural barrier which protects us at the same time. Yes, absolutely. It's amazing. And you know yeah. what? Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Chris because for those who look at mindfulness and of course we talk about it every week we talk about spirituality we talk about mindfulness but 
go check it out on Facebook. Mindfulness and Daily Life. You can find Chris, all his teachings, all his practice, this wonderful community yeah. that me and Francesca are both in. And it's just so lovely to be here with you and share your journey and we've got to do it again you know let's pick another topic and it's so lovely mutual minds and of course you have the podcast check it out on podbean yes so let's say the last thing and then to we can close this uh, Mm. episode there's nothing there oh no but you know what is that what it is there is nothing there yeah and actually meditation means putting the mind aside so that uh, it no longer interferes with reality <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you, can see, you can see things for what they are exactly in fact i can i can say something and it's what i am saying and i'll wrap it up in a single word and that's emptiness <laughs> which is a moment of uh, renewal and pure clarity, you know, when, yeah. when the mind, when the mind empties itself, you know, and, and you experience, you ex, you're more alive than you ever are, aren't you? Um, Descartes, sorry, I'll just say this before I go. So there is something. Mm, there we go. Now, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, didn't he? Yeah. So he associated the fact that he could think with being fully alive, but in meditation, we find out the opposite's true. As the thinking slows down and falls away, we become more alive than we've ever been. So I would leave with, I, my thoughts fall away, therefore I'm more than I ever was. And it shows you're at peace that with this conversation, you have nothing that you feel that you need to get off your chest. We've entered a wonderful space of, mm. of uh, exploration and conversation full of wellness and wonder. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me. And what's your closing word, Frenchie? My closing sentence is uh, enjoy the stillness and silence of the mind because that's when you realize what you want and how you desire your future to be yeah lovely i think definitely remember there's no past there's no tomorrow all we have is now yeah yes that's it and for all those remember can watch this on youtube you can check us on anywhere there is podcasts this is it another week next week we are interviewing dr Rohit. Dr. Rohit, so check that out. Beautiful man, yet again, medical spiritual practice as we do in our spiritual series. There's so much going on. So thank you so much again, Chris, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you, Chris, so much. Thank you.